Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you guys are hanging in there. I know it has been strange times, scary times for, I would have to say, all of us. And I am bringing you an episode today that was recorded a few weeks back, maybe a month back. I'm not even sure. And it's a nice, casual, normal conversation before the coronavirus. The coronavirus was happening at this time that we recorded it, but not to the level that it is now. And it is a nice reprieve from all the talk about the coronavirus. Um, I invited Evie and Sarah to the show, and they are actually very fun to talk to. I had a really good talk with them. They are um, the hosts from the podcast Modern Manners for Moms and Dads, and they are two educators. They both have their degrees in education and they both have six kids between the two of them and they are real life best friends. And their whole podcast is about like, what the heck do I do in this situation? (laughs) It's like manners and etiquette and questions that we all want to know, but no one asks each other. So I was binge listening to their podcast before I had them on and I found it really interesting because especially having social anxiety, I have these questions a lot about, you know, what is the etiquette for this? Or what do you do about that? Or if this happens, how do you handle that? And they, that's all they do. So it's, it's very, very fun and entertaining to listen to. So I invited them on because I thought it would be very cool to talk to them about etiquette and manners and situations that we get into as parents to kids with anxiety or OCD. So I had them come on and had the most common questions that I would have thought of, and hopefully they are related to your life as well, that we kind of come across a lot raising our kids, and they had some really good responses. So I hope that you enjoy them and definitely check out their podcast, uh, Modern Manners for Moms and Dads, and they will also be coming out with a book of the same name, and you can learn more about them at their website, uh, evieandsarah.com. That's E-V-I-E and Sarah, S-A-R-A-H.com. So um, I hope that you enjoy this conversation. I hope it's a nice um, mental break from kind of the craziness that's going on in our world. I hope you and your family are staying healthy and well and hunkered down. I know it's been weird times here at the Daniels house And my kids really enjoyed their free time for a little while. And we're into our third week of, uh, I live in Arizona, so we're not on lockdown currently as of March 29th, which can change, but we're staying home. Um, They don't have school. Most people aren't working or they're doing like telework. And so it's been very interesting, but my kids are starting to get stir crazy Um, but I kind of like this new routine. (laughs) Is that bad to say? It's very slow and like low pressure and everything. Just, I feel like I have more time because I'm not sitting there in my car, driving my kids everywhere. 
So there is this like weird silver lining that I'm feeling like I have more time to do stuff and I have more time to like connect with my kids and they have more time. They can wake up a little bit later. They can go to bed a little bit later. So I'm trying to see a little bit of the silver linings in all this craziness, but uh, hopefully things are going okay at your house. So take a break, grab a drink and relax and listen to this kind of light and fluffy, fun conversation that I had with Evie and Sarah. Well, I want to welcome Evie and Sarah to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank Thank you so much for having us. We're going to finish each other's sentences for the next 30 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know. That's okay. So we're going to dive into a lot of questions that I get a lot about kind of like etiquette and manners around around raising our kids with anxiety and OCD and like how do we handle some difficult situations. And I thought you guys would be the perfect people to come on my show and talk about it because you're kind of like the etiquette and manner like go-to people. Well, I guess we are. (laughs) So before we get started, could you just share a little bit about what you guys do with my audience? Sure. So we are um, best friends. We're like best friends. And um, we've been friends for a really long time. And our our kids are friends. And so we have this really great connection with each other. Um, And that sort of has evolved into this amazing business where we get a chance to take reader and listener questions all the time. And they will call us about lots of different sticky situations that happen when they go out in public with their kids. Everything from where can I change a diaper if, I, if there's no changing table nearby to can my husband host my six, these six girls at a sleepover. So it's mm-hmm. things that come up that we don't really think about are going to happen until we are put in the moment. And then we go, oh my God, nobody told me how to handle this. Well, that's what we're there for. Yeah, I love it because it's questions that you just, you're like, what would I do in this situation? I was listening to your episode on like birthday party invitations. And I thought it was such a good one. I have had that question forever. Like when do you send them out? When is too much? You know, and I was like listening to the episode being like, because I've always wondered that, but it's like not one of those things that you would ask anybody. Well, we see these questions all the time on social media. We know people are talking about them, but until now, there's not really been any sort of definitive source for the answers. So Sarah and I have taken our backgrounds in education and married them with this partnership that we have where being best friends, we can talk through a really sticky issue and say to each other, like, no, I don't think that sounds right. Or, hmm, I think you might want to try something else. And then we are able to come to a conclusion that really offers parents options based on the way their family works and functions, their, their individual lives, their kids' lives, and really make some practical solutions for really sticky situations. Yeah. It's, it's helpful and it's entertaining. <laughs> so we're going to go through, um, I just like kind of brainstorm with myself all like the main questions I get or questions that I thought would be really good. Um, and we'll get your opinion on them. What you think? Awesome. So the first one is super common. I get this all the time, which is, you know, I'm inviting my friend, my relative over more so relative, I think, but this can happen with friends too. And they don't get my kid with anxiety or OCD. Maybe they like tease them or maybe they tell me how to parent whatever happens they tend to make things much worse mm-hmm. when they come and visit <laughs> so what do you do with that friend or family member i think it partly depends on the nature of the relationship so if this is a friend that is in your orbit on a, on a very rare occasion and they will occasionally throw out a parenting comment to you that is like a toss away you this really doesn't apply to you 
to me, I would just let that go. It's not worth having a big confrontation with somebody that's not really a part of my life on a daily basis. However, if we're talking about a family member, that gets more complicated because this is somebody who will be in your life and in your child's life. And so I always come to the question of, what is how much information does this person need to have in order to interact with my child in a meaningful way? And so I ask myself that question because I have differently wired kids myself. I ask myself that question when it comes to teachers and caregivers, family members, you know, my kids' friends, how much do I want to tell their parents? Because I think that's a good starting point for how do you proceed with the adult, the friend or the uh, family member who's not really interacting with your kid in a positive and constructive way. Yeah. I think there's like two ways that people can come at this. One is like a negative way where they're making negative comments. And the second is a dismissive way. Yeah. Like, oh, there's nothing, whatever. Like you're overreacting, you're overdramatizing. And that's frustrating because you're like, no, actually like, and then you feel like you have to justify and it becomes this big snowball effect where you're um, talking about your child in a way that you might not want to because your child is all of these things and this one thing. You know, so it's like, we don't want to just focus on this one thing all the time. But then when someone is being dismissive or negative toward your child or toward you and your reaction, then you feel like, oh my gosh, now we're focusing on this way more than I want to, because you're not listening to the one thing I need you to pay attention to. Yeah. So... And in that case, I think it's really worth having a conversation with somebody you know that is going to continue to be a part of your life and your child's life. I would have that conversation away from your child so you don't feel like they're you know, being put under a microscope or stigmatized, but really pull this other adult inside, aside and say, listen, I need you to know this is what's going on. It's something that we work, work around every day. These are the things that are helpful. These are the things that are not helpful. And then I always try to end conversations like that by asking for somebody's buy-in. Can you help me with this? So I said, we're a team. We're part of this child support system. Can you help me with this? And that pretty much is never going to end in the word no, right? People who love you and love your child aren't going to say, no, I can't help you. Yeah. I like that. Can you help me with this? So it's kind of like hooking them in, (laughs) making them feel obligated. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. and, And I think sometimes, like I know a while ago, we had a distant relative who we were just visiting and they were just ripping into my really sensitive at the time, eight-year-old, 10 now. And, you know, I couldn't opt out of it. It was like, we had to have dinner with them and we had to be around them because we were visiting that area. But, you know, my mama bear, and I'm super quiet, non-confrontational introvert. And it got to the point where, and she just wouldn't get it. Like he was one of those people who just, he didn't get it. He's just kind of like, don't, you know, coddle your child, suck it up. Mm -hmm. And finally, I was just like, you know, you can't sit next to him. <laughs> I just had to be very overt. You know, I was just like, sit over here. No, have him sit next to me. He's not going to sit next to you because you're mean. Like, I just had to be like, really like, <laughs> I was blunt because I just couldn't stomach it anymore. So, um, yeah, I like, you know, engaging with those people that you're going to see on a regular basis, but those random people that have to come to your house or you have to go see them, it's okay to, you know, get out those think, mama you know, calls. Some of these frustrations and difficulties that these kids have are invisible. You know, yeah. you don't see it. So, you know, it's, it's like, oh, well, they're fine. They're, they're okay. What are you talking about? Well, right now in this moment, yes. But yeah. if this continues on this trajectory, we're going to have this happen. So I'm telling yeah. you, like, you know, I, I need you to kind of pay attention to these little strategies. And, and, you know, I, I've definitely come across some people in my life who um, either A, don't take it seriously or think they can solve it for me. Like, oh, have you ever just done this, this, and this? 
Like, yeah, that's so I'm annoying. so glad you're in my life and you told me that because God, you know, obviously <laughs> I would never have thought of those things. Like, shut the, shut up, you know? <laughs> like, what an epiphany. Yeah. <laughs> what would I do without you? Yeah. Right. So what do you do with the advisor, the one who just constantly wants to tell you how to parent your child because obviously they know what they're doing? Yeah. And that's actually a good question too. Like how you handle those people. And I, it's down on my list. We'll get to that. <laughs> All right. I'm going to move on to the next one. So uh, this one is actually c- pretty common too in my world where your child can't really hang at a sleepover. They can't make it all the way through. And so maybe you're inchworming your way through it and you're at your next challenge where you want them to sleep over at their friend's house. And you know that the likelihood of them staying is like 90, 10, 90%, probably not. <laughs> you know? mm. um, and this is not, let's just make this scenario. This is not someone like you don't know the mom. You're not friendly with the mom. Do you, what do you do with that? Do you warn them ahead of time and say, Hey, just sideline. My daughter probably will be calling me around midnight. Or do you just let it go and, and see how, how it goes? I think this is a really common thing for kids to struggle with this whole question of staying over at somebody's house. It's very unusual and very uncomfortable. And we've talked about it a bunch of times, Sarah, you always say, um, you know, when a kid goes to put on their PJs and they're like, but where are my socks? Like, who's going to help me put on my PJs? You know, it's just a very (laughs) uncomfortable feeling for all kids. So then if you rope in a child who's a little bit anxious, I'm outside of my normal environment or a child who's trying to, you know, conceal some sort of OCD behaviors, then you're just stacking the deck here. Yeah. For me, if I thought it was a 90% chance that my child was going to need to be rescued mid, in, at midnight, I would probably say something just to give that parent a heads up so they're expecting it. Because I think that if I were the host, I would feel really badly. I would feel like I had done something wrong or I had not made the yeah. child feel comfortable or they were scared about something and maybe I could have helped them. So if the parent says to me, this is a common thing, we're working on it, this is probably going to happen, that would take the pressure off of me and I would feel like less responsible for the outcome. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Like they would feel, they would feel like they did something wrong. I would. I would feel really badly if a kid was at my house and all of a sudden said to me, I want to go home. I'd be like, oh no, what did I do? What didn't I, I do? Too. How have yeah, I not I made you comfortable? Think, yeah. It, it's funny because you, you're saying this and I'm thinking accommodator. like Big time. <laughs> <laughs> we have this parenting framework that we sort of bring all of our questions to and we talk about how parents react viscerally in one of three different ways. Um, and Evie is an accommodator, which means that she is very aware about other people's needs around her, not just her and her families, but the, the people around her. So if that happened to her at a sleepover, she would feel like it was her fault. Like, oh my God, what did I, I didn't do enough for you. Um, me, I'm a protector parent. So I would probably not. And I've had this conversation with my daughter seven and she's asked me a few times, like, can I, and I'm like, no, you can't because you can't, you won't be able to stay the whole night. You're not ready. And so like the, Let's just not, let's no, let's wait. We don't need to do this now. We can do this later when you're more comfortable. But right now you like to be with mommy at bedtime. And so even if bedtime's at 930 at a friend's house, she's going to get to that spot and go, no, thank you. I'm done. Yeah. Um, because I do feel like bedtime is very intimate time. You know, they're doing all these things that they have this little pattern. They have this routine that we've done with them since they've been infants. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, but I always brush my teeth and then do this. Or what about, you know, all those little things that like create that routine for them. They get disrupted one at a time. And all of a sudden your kid is like, whoa, this is too much, you know? Yeah. 
So I probably just would say, no, thank you. We're not, we're not ready. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, and a lot of these people that I'm probably talking to my audience are like, these are like 12 year olds who, you know, everybody else is sleeping over and it's impacting them socially, you know? And so it'll be even more awkward when they can't make it because they're failing and they're 12 or like, there's like two or three girls at the house. And then they're going to be the one that's going to be like, I have to call my mom. See, and then at that point, it's like, is it better just not to attend? Because if you're going to leave early and you're going to feel more embarrassed of leaving early, then maybe it's better to just like, you know, and and I, you know, I always tell like my oldest, like, just blame me. Tell them it's, you're not allowed. Tell them mommy said you can't go because then it's like, okay, well, it's not my fault. My mom said I can't come. That would be my response to that too. Just say my mom's not allowing me to go. (laughs) I mean, because it would be awkward if you allowed your child to sleep over at some people's houses, but not others. But then in this circumstance where we're talking about the child is really leading things. If they don't want to be put on the spot and embarrassed in front of their friends, it's very easy to just say, my mom doesn't let me do sleepovers, which again, I think is becoming more and more common as, you know, our generation, we just slept over everywhere all the time. I don't think people had as many concerns about it, but now we're really aware of how many dangers there are at sleepovers. And um, I don't think that would be totally wild and uncommon for a kid to say, my parents don't let me do sleepovers. And then it's just not on them at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it is getting more common to not do sleepovers. Although I teach in my anxiety and OCD that we lean, we, we move towards our fears instead of away from them. And a lot of things with clinical anxiety and OCD, it's all about avoidance. And so I probably wouldn't recommend that. I would recommend like sleeping over at a grandparent's house because it's all about separation. A lot of these kids have like clinical separation anxiety. And so it's trying to get them into that norm um, or maybe do it with a best friend, you know, and, and take those small little steps to, to expose them because uh, it's the, the intuitive common parenting approach is to just not do it. Um, uh-huh. But for, for these kids, it's like you really want them to move towards their fears not the seven-year-old, that's totally developmentally appropriate, but the 12-year-old who, you know, is still sleeping in their parents' bed and they're really trying to work towards independence, um, it gets a little bit dicier. That's a really great point. It does shift at that age for sure. And I think the idea of sleeping in a grandparent's house or a trusted friend or family member is a safe place. You know, it's a, it's, it's, there's no social pressures. You go to your grandparents' house and that's family. It's a good place to start. Yeah. 12 year old sleepovers can be very scary. So the yeah, thing- no, that is definitely, <laughs> you know? that is definitely on the other end of the spectrum for sure. And I will never have um, more than, I don't, I don't even like anyone in my house. <laughs> but like I would never, we did one sleepover party for my daughter. It was like a nightmare. She was turning, this is my 16 year old. So this is how long ago it was she was turning, I think eight or nine and like two of the kids were crying and needed to go home. They were like in first grade. It was like oh, no. the worst idea. So no, never again. <laughs> All right. Well, on to the next question. So you actually brought this up in the, uh, in an article. Um, I think that Evie, did you write this article about mean, um, mean kids wanting play dates? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good article. And Thank so I wanted to talk about that because I feel like a lot of times parents, at least in my audience, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So most of the parents listening, not all of them, but most of them are very empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely probably accommodators. I, I was listening to your thing and I was, I haven't taken your test yet, but I will. Uh-huh. And I am a total accommodator. I mean, I'll you be are too. Okay. anything other than an accommodator. Cause I am a recovering socially anxious person. I mean, like I have, I have social anxiety disorder. So it is like a bona fide, I've diagnosed myself. So <laughs> that's going on. So 
I do, I worry so much about other people's feelings. Um, and like when you guys were talking on one of your recent podcasts about the woman on the airport, you know, like going on a mm-hmm. plane and worrying about her kids being loud or whatever. And yep. then she was, one of them was a protector and, you know, she wanted to make sure her kids were okay. I would totally yes. be like you. I'd be worried. Are my kids bothering people? Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> and so I wouldn't want to be rude if let's say somebody wants, it's like really forcing a play date or mm-hmm. a friendship even on me. And this has happened actually where I've had to like shift my natural accommodator instinct and mm-hmm. they want their, their child. This happened a couple of times with, I have three kids. So a couple of my kids where they're like, your child's such a good influence. Can, can, you know, little Johnny or whatever, hang out with your child because we just love when she hangs out with her because she does better. Uh You're thinking, oh my gosh, your child's like a nightmare. (laughs) How do you approach that? (laughs) You know, there is research to support what I'm going to say. And some people are not going to like it, but you lie. You make up little white lies to get yourself out of this conundrum because having to tell another parent that their kid is a disaster is A, impolite, and B, not really going to help anything. You're going to be pushing somebody away who is not a good fit for your kids. So exactly as you said, you kind of want to shift gears here. If you are the type of person who's constantly worrying about what other people think of you, it's very tough to say no to them. On the other hand, if this child is making your kid really anxious, upset, they're just not a good match for some reason, your child shouldn't have to be exposed just because you can't say no. So if you can't say no, say, I can't today, I can't right now, that we don't have the time in our schedule this week, let me get a rain check. You can defer it if you don't have the wherewithal to get yourself to just say, you know, they're really not a good match. The other option is to just tell someone they're not a good match. But I think you need to be really, really careful about how you do that because for the same reasons I would not want somebody to tell me my kid was a disaster, what is the right language for that? You know, you might be saying to somebody whose kid is really struggling with a diagnosis that you don't know about, your kid is a disaster. Your kid is so wild. Well, my kid has other issues going on that you don't know about. We're working through getting the right medications. We are trying to find a doctor who can help us. So I think it's really tricky to tell somebody, my kid doesn't want to be with your kid because your kid is such a mess because there's a lot of judgment in that. And I just think that's a really dangerous thing for parents to do. So it is okay to tell little white lies to get yourself out of it. Scientists have shown that those little white lies are kind of the glue, the social glue of our, our society, that little white lies help us to sort of keep things copacetic. We just, we, okay, we're just going to go with the flow. We can't this week. Thank you so much for the invitation. Let's try again another time. That's totally okay. You can do it. Okay. That's good advice. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have um, dealt with this where, you know, a child was just telling my child like scary stuff every time um, they were around this person, another new scary story. And then my kids would be up for like days, weeks, months with this new anxiety because they're nervous about a ghost or they're nervous about whatever like urban legend they wanted to tell them that day and show them on their phone. And so I got to the point where I was like, no, no more. Like, and then, you know, it was white lies. Like, oh, we're busy or just tell her we can't do it. And then my kids, because they're so blunt and they have no filter, 
they were like, my mom doesn't like you. (laughs) So yeah, that was awkward. I'm like, can you just, can we have like a family rule where what is said in here stays in here? Like, I feel like I can't trust you guys. So yeah, that's what happens when you tell white lies with kids who are like too honest. I think that's definitely true. Sometimes you have to be careful because if you say like, you know, you say a lie or whatever, a white lie. And, and I, I agree with Abby that the, this is sometimes the best way to go to be, you know, you want to make everybody feel like no one's at blame here, you know, but then sometimes your kids will say the things that you're thinking that you won't say because they're like, you know, I don't want to play with you or, you know, you make me sad. Or my mom says, I can't play with you because you make me sad. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that kid goes home and says, and then the other mom's going, well, maybe that's why she keeps saying no. And I mean, it's also, and one thing I always tell my kids is not everybody has to be friends with everybody. Yeah. You have to be kind. You have to be respectful, but you don't have to be besties with everybody and you won't be like, that's okay. So, um, you know, it's, it's a hard concept. And I remember vividly as a kid when I was 10, someone coming up to me and saying, you know what, Sarah, not everybody has to like you. Ooh. And I remember at the time feeling super hurt. Like, why, what are you talking about? You know? And, and so like, it's, I think, and it really hurt my feelings and I still remember it as an adult. So obviously it was something yeah. that never went away. Right. Um, and so I think that all these comments and all these conversations that we have around kids and around friendships and everything are very, very important because it's things that stay with them as they grow older and as they develop their own confidence and their own abilities to make relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay. On to the next one. Um, let's see. So a couple of different things about public and like what happens in public. Uh, this is a hard one. I mean, raising my kids, it's always been really hard because my oldest, so I was like an infant and toddler mental health specialist when my 16 year old was like two and I, she was my first kid and I was an in an infant and toddler, like postgraduate program too, that my work was putting me through. So like I was studying all these like atypical behaviors and then I was in home counseling parents who have like out of control toddlers and my toddler was out of control and it was so embarrassing. I remember like not wanting to take her out in public. I didn't. And I, one time I had to bring her to a meeting at my infant and toddler mental health, like clinic. And everybody's like, Oh, Natasha, you should get her assessed. And I'm like, why? You know? And I like, cause I just didn't realize that her behaviors were so atypical. So when I was in public and she would have these meltdowns, like these massive, I remember being in target and she would not go in the shopping cart. She had a lot of sensory issues and I remember going into a corner because I could like, you know, catty corner, like the the cart and like have it not move while I like rammed her into the seat (laughs) because I was so mortified and she just would not sit down. Mm -hmm. And people, you know, have comments about these things. They don't realize what you're going through. Um, Luckily, I didn't really have anyone say anything to me with her because I pretty much isolated myself and like avoided the public, which is not the right answer. Yeah. So what do you do when your child's having a meltdown? You've got this, like your handle. I've seen some parents handle it in the most beautiful way. Like they do not care. They're obviously not accommodators because <laughs> they are just protectors. They're like doing their thing and they're doing it so well. And I've seen these people like at Walmart or Target. I'm like, I'm impressed with you. But to the average eye, it looks like get your kid under control, you know, cause the child's flailing and the mom's like, I said, no, and no means no. If you, you know, keep going, we're going to have to leave and go to the car, but the child's totally out of control. 
Mm-hmm. So what do we do with that? So I think, and one of the things that we say is that it's one thing you can identify as an accommodator. That's cool. You can identify with however you want. But the key here is to know when it's okay to change, to have the confidence to know I don't have to be an accommodator right now because yeah. right now I'm doing the best I can. I know that this is what's happening. I know this is the process my child's going through, and I know that I'm going to help them if I continue on this route. People stare at me. People say things to me. I'm going to let it roll off my back because right now I'm doing the best thing I can do for my child. And that is so hard if it doesn't come naturally to you because you're very busy looking around, worrying about what other people think. Um, and I think it's also good to have a couple little zingers in your pocket, a couple things to say or do so that it's planned out that you know that you feel comfortable saying, like, I'm doing the best I can. Or it's it's really fun to embarrass somebody who feels like they yeah. can judge you in the middle of public. Um, <laughs> in the middle of the grocery store, somebody can say something to you that's inappropriate. And if you have something already prepared, you know, cause we always go home and say, Oh, I should have said that to her. Well, you have it in your head. And then you say, oh, I've, I'm, we're doing the best we can here. Thank you though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just saying like, I got this, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody, Oh, you got to get that kid under control. You turn calmly to them and you say, I got this because you too. So I like that idea of being prepared for it. You know, it's going to come. I had, a toddler like who like you you would really just embarrass me in public who was having these massive temper tantrums that would go on 30 40 minutes and I would be saying the same thing to myself I'm an educator I know how to deal with this and yet I'm the one with the kid who is doing this but it was a sign at that age of something bigger that I didn't quite know about yet and so I mean, it's just another reminder that we've got to give parents grace. If you see somebody with a kid freaking out, just zip it, you know, and and there've been so many times who, when like you, I see a parent doing exactly the right thing with a kid who's having a tantrum and I just want to go over and pat him on the back and say, you are rocking this. You're doing it so well. And because we don't get a lot of positive feedback for that sort of thing. When we know our child well enough to know what they need in that moment, we do it. We don't worry about everybody else, but Sarah's exactly right. We've got to be able to shift even accommodators to know what does my child need at this moment and just forget about everything else and just sort of melt into that moment with your kid. And by the way, what Evie said about giving people compliments, I think it's totally okay to go up to a parent who's doing a really great job in a tough moment and say, I see you and you're doing awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's so huge. Like what a gift to give someone. It really is. Or just to say like, oh, I've so been there. So they know I see you and I'm not judging you. I've been in that position too. It is, it just takes all the anxiety. Like for me, when people would say stuff like that to me, all the anxiety would just rush out of my body because I felt like, oh, okay, there are other people in this room who get what I'm going through. Yeah, totally. And I think we can all do that. That's a gift that we can all give other people. Yeah, I have airplanes that were like a nightmare with my oldest. And I remember like, I would just sit down and I would apologize before we even started. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I have a you know baby and she's very restless and she might make it a lot. And when, when that person next to me would say, don't worry, I have kids too. Especially like yes. a guy who's yes. sitting there and he pulls out his laptop and you think, oh my gosh, I'm going to destroy your two hours. <laughs> <laughs> and when he says, it's okay, I have kids too. How old is she? You're just like, like you said, like the anxiety just drips off of you. Cause you're like, thank God, this is yes. going to be good. So yeah, I, I agree. Now, um, piggybacking on that question, another one that I get a lot in our world where kids have anxiety and OCD and we're trying to maybe encourage them to do something hard, um, maybe like I teach kids there in therapy and online therapeutically to like do challenges. So they have to do things that are hard in public 
as an exercise, a therapeutic exercise. And obviously, you know, the average person isn't going to understand that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we're doing things to help our kids and it can seem cruel and people, you know, well-intentioned people will kind of have to like pipe in. So I remember I was trying to think of an example that I have happens to me all the time, actually, but my daughter, my eight-year-old, so my youngest, like my kids have been in swim lessons, not anymore, but like literally we probably spent like $50,000 on swim lessons. (laughs) I'm not even exaggerating. They were in from birth. They were in from utero because I think I went in when I was pregnant and then all the way up to like, I finally gave up at around six or seven, I think like seven years of, if you can't swim in seven years, like it's just not going to happen. Eventually they both swam and they can kind of swim. But anyways, we, we lived in swim class for a while because they both were like, so all three of them were super anxious. Mm -hmm. So my youngest, um, you know, similar to all the other ones, she would like, do you want to get her head wet? She thought she was going to sink to the bottom. So just getting her to go was huge. Like she'd have diarrhea before we'd go. Like sometimes she couldn't make it because she was like so sick with anxiety. And um, so we got finally got to the point where like she was just going to go. And like when the coach called her, she'd be able to walk by herself. And so we spent a lot of time building up to that. And so we finally get to her and some lady, some like old lady, you know, always was there watching her grandchild and always had something to say. So my daughter had nail polish on one time because she was a very girly girl and she wanted to do it. And she's like, Oh, you know, this is not really good for little kids. Or sometimes she'd be eating something and she'd be like, that's not really the healthiest choice. And I'm like, seriously, lady, just stop. But I, you know, being a non-confrontational person would just not say anything. But um, eventually my daughter had to like walk to the, to the coach by herself. It was like literally three feet. And the woman just turned to me because my daughter is like crying, but she's doing it. Mm. And she's looking back, like she's brave. And and she's feeling empowered, but scared. And the woman just looked at me. She's like, why are you forcing her to do that? You know, and finally I was like, do you have a grandchild with an anxiety disorder? She's like, well, let me chat with you about that. You know, that's like, you're a little bit more of a protector than you think you are. You I know, I know I where you're switching. <laughs> I do. Like I'm an accommodator. And then when someone like pushes me, I become like a crazy protector, like <laughs> where I'm like rude because like, I don't want that protector to come out. And so when it does, it's like, so nasty that I'm like, I'm overwhelmed by myself. I'm like, I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> so it does, it goes, switches really fast. So what do, what do parents do when they have kind of like you know, people are trying to give you advice, but they don't get it. I think it's a question of how comfortable are you talking about what's going on with your child? Because in, in my family, I try to share as little information as possible I try to give as much information as people need in order to interact with my child in an appropriate way. But I feel like it's her information and, you know, I have my own stuff going on that I don't necessarily want to broadcast to the world so I can be a little bit protective about what's going on with her. And um, so I really actually think that the way you spoke to that grandmother is totally fine. If that is your comfort level with sharing information, I think that retort was actually perfect because someone like that, who's constantly offering little advice, it's not that she did it to you the one time she was doing it repeatedly about a variety of issues. And you probably did her a service by telling her that her advice is not always needed, wanted, or appropriate. So I would say if you feel brave enough and you feel like you're comfortable sharing that information, I would say something just like that. My child is struggling with this and I've got it under control. Thank you for your input, but we're going to do what works best for us. I love that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Not being afraid to, I think, put people in their place can be a bit awkward. It can be, but it's almost like you're helping them to learn that things are not always what they appear. And I think that older generations just didn't talk about, I mean, I mean, it's, it's not my impression, is it, that anxiety and OCD and depression were just not as discussed yeah. in previous generations. Mm-hmm. We're more aware of them now, their conversations we're having. And so, especially if it's somebody of another generation, you might really be informing them that when you see an unusual behavior in a child, it's not necessarily bad parenting. It's not necessarily that this child is being a brat. There's usually more to the story than what meets the eye. Yep, exactly. I think sometimes I've, you know, made comments to people in passing when I'm doing something a little bit unorthodox with one of my children um, because I'm working through an anxiety moment um, with her. And, um, you know, I'll say something like, we're working on this, Mm. you know, something we're working on right now. Um, yeah. We had a, a moment with the bus driver where we had a really hard time in the beginning of the year because if it was a brand new bus driver for any reason, we were not going to get on the bus. Um, and so she would walk up the stairs, look, and walk back down. <laughs> and the bus driver would look at her and try and was really kind. But, you know, could I have forced her? Sure. But I didn't. I told her, okay, I'll drive you to school. You know, fine. Um, and then eventually, one day she came home and said, at, there was at, oh, and then well, even in the afternoon, she if it was afternoon, no. And the teacher would call me, and I would go get her. And then one day, she just said to me after a few months of this, I came home on the bus, and there was a new bus driver. And I was like, that is amazing! Like you're so brave. How did you decide to make that decision today? And you know, definitely, I got some looks where it's like I'm the one picking up my kid at three o'clock because she's the only one that didn't want to get on the bus or the, the, the bus driver is waiting at the bus stop and it's taking too much time because she's waiting for my daughter to get on the bus. And I'm just like, you know, to other women and they were, they were good about it, but I felt the need to say like, we're working on this with her after she got on the bus. I'm working on it. I did feel a little embarrassed. Like even as a protector, I still feel embarrassed sometimes if we're holding up the line for some reason, Mm -hmm. because we're working through an anxiety issue, whether it's the drop off or the bus stop or whatever, like in the swim lesson where they have to separate from you to do it. And, you know, other people are waiting on your child, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I mean, I think from what we're talking about, it's almost like, and I know this is true for me. Like I had to work on not caring as much about what people thought and that, that like, because I was way over here on the spectrum of caring, um, with, you know, having social anxiety, this journey raising kids with anxiety and OCD has like completely helped me because if I did not get better and, and stop caring what people thought I was going to be a hindrance to my kids. Mm. And like last school year was like, probably like, um, the most therapeutic for me because I had, (laughs) my daughter lived in the nurse's office and they did not understand why they didn't, they were very clueless just about like anxiety in general. And they probably should, because if you're a school nurse, you probably should be like, you should probably know that you're going to have some kids living with you that are not sick. And so (laughs) it was awkward. I had to go in and I had to like, just be really not confrontational, but I had to say, she's not sick. She's going to visit you a lot and we're working on it. I like your expression. We're working on it. You know, she's, she's working on it. She's in therapy and please do not call me because that's, you know, that's facilitating and encouraging this behavior. And, you know, if she can stay with you, we'll work on it. And now, you know, the next school year, this year, luckily we actually got a new nurse who's like not as warm and fuzzy. (laughs) (laughs) Actually was like the biggest gift the universe could have provided because the first day my daughter was like, 
mom, the nurse is not that nice. And I'm like, she's not, <laughs> you know her name? Nope, I don't even know her name. I'm like, dude, I have never, she's never gone to the nurse. So it's been well, a There you have it. Wow. Like we just have to supply like non-warm fuzzy nurses, but we needed <laughs> it at the time. So it was a good thing. But yeah, I like that we're working on it. That's a, that's really good advice. Okay. I have one more. Um, this is actually a really common one too, is let's say you're, you're at an event. So you're either at your friend's house on a play date. I don't do that. I'm socially anxious, but let's say <laughs> other people probably do, or you're at some sort of party or whatever. You're at a gathering and you know that your child is done. And maybe they've come over and whispered to you, like, I am so done, mom, but they look normal. They look okay. They're not a toddler. They're not imploding or exploding. Um, so they're very happy. They're people pleasers. So you have to tell people like we have to go. How do you handle that? That is super tough. I know I struggle with this with my family because I have a big fat Greek family who always wants to have big parties and late nights and everything's so fun and everybody's having a great time until we're not. Right. right. And, you, and you know your child, you know, when that moment is coming, you can see it in their face, you can see it in their body language. And for me, I always feel better sort of preempting the let's start heading out the door. I don't want to wait till we're yeah. at our breaking point. Um, not just for my child, but for me, because I don't necessarily at the end of a big event have the, the energy or the brain capacity to be able to wrangle them. And it just feels like that ruins the whole event for me. So I have gotten braver and braver over the years, same sort of thing, being able to say, I know it looks like we're all having fun right now, but it really is time to go. And I don't usually offer explanations at that point to friends or family. My reasons for wanting to get my child out of a situation could be anything. I'm not feeling well. They're not feeling well. I'm tired. They're tired. I don't need to offer an explanation. Oh, don't you want to stay another while? I'm. We had such a great time, but it really is time for us to go. I think there's, especially for accommodators, um, a tendency to give too much information. Yeah. And when you start giving a lot of information, you give people the ability to want to negotiate with you. Oh, well, so-and-so is really looking tired. No, they don't look tired. Oh, they can go lay down on the couch. Nope. No, yeah. it's really time for us to go. Thank you so much. We've had such a fun time. That, that would be my closing remarks. The other thing too, because my husband is also from a big gallivanting family <laughs> and um, I have to do like a, I have to give him like a 20 minute warning because he likes to wait till after the kids are melting down and then like pull them all crying. And I'm like, that sounds like nightmare. I don't want to do that. So, yeah. you know, I'll say to him, okay, in 30 minutes, we're going to leave. So I'm like preempting it and preempting it. Like I see yeah. it's coming in 30 minutes. So 30 minutes prior, I'm like telling him, okay, we've got about 30 minutes left and then the kids were done. So, and I think he learned after a while that it's much worse to put kids to bed that are really upset versus waiting until, right. You know, they're, they're not, they're not upset yet. We can get in the car and drive home. Um, or even if it's like a a party where you're a play date, like, but a, a sleepover, like a big party, family party where you're spending the night at the, at the house, it's even harder because then you have to pull your kids away from the party to go to bed. And maybe the cousins aren't going to bed yet, but you think, okay, my kids are going. And that's where I feel like that's really difficult, but you yeah. still have to, okay, well, I know this, everybody else is awake, but you know, and eventually they get to a certain age where you might not have to, but if, if you know that the next day is going to be a hundred times worse, if yeah. they stay up too late or they're too emotional, like it's too overstimulated, then you definitely have to cut it off, even though it's, it's, it's hard. It is. Yeah. That's a good point. So I like, I feel like you could even extend that from your husband to like 
the host mm-hmm. where you could say, we're going to have to leave in like 20 minutes. And yeah. so you kind of warn them too. I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like, I mean, that's a good idea. Cause then you, they see it coming and I like Evie, I like your point too. Like we don't have to give people reasons. I feel yeah. like that's, that's my, um, accommodator kind of yeah. uh, voice in there that like, I have to, like, I owe people a reason or an explanation for these things when we don't. And you're right. They'll try to like go you into like possibly feeling guilty about it or trying to fix the situation. Oh, my child's tired. Oh, well we can fix that. Or they're hungry. We can feed them. Yes. And it is, yeah. it is better to just be like, I don't need to tell you. I like that. That's like, that wouldn't even I wouldn't even come. I wouldn't even think about that. (laughs) I have to stop myself from saying I think too much. I have to stop myself from saying I'm sorry too much. Mm -hmm. And the other one is just like offering all sorts of explanations about things that people don't really need. I I'm getting better in my adult life about setting boundaries and not offering explanations or apologies. And just this is my boundary. We need to go now. Thank you so much. We had a great time. We'll see you again soon. That's it. I like it. I like it. (laughs) I know. I've been working on the I'm sorry for a while, like this past year. And it's crazy how often in an email I will write, I'm sorry. And then now I will, I'm not allowed, like make these like weird rules for myself. Like uh-huh. my own therapy. <laughs> and so initially it was, I can't like negate a compliment. So if somebody says something mm-hmm. to me, I would always negate it. I, they would say like, Oh, your shoes are so cute. And I'd be like, Oh, I got them on discount or I got them at Payless or whatever. Yes. Or like, oh, you've helped my child so much. Oh, you really, it was nothing. It's not rocket science. Like I always <laughs> would negate a compliment. Uh-huh. So my first rule, like about five years ago is no negating a compliment. And you just say, thank you. Like, and it was so hard, but like this past year, it's no, I'm sorry. It's like, if it does not require an, I'm sorry. And I was shocked at how often I say, I'm sorry. I say, I'm sorry all the time. Somebody yes. hits me, I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> like, or for things that have nothing to do with you. Yeah. I don't have to be sorry about everything that is not even related to me or my child. But I think that that's like a way to sort of cover your tracks if you feel anxious and you feel like you might be upsetting people. But we don't have to take on everybody else's emotions, especially when it comes to our parenting. This is a relationship between me and my child. I'm helping them navigate the world. I don't also need to help you navigate my navigating the world with my child. Yeah. No, boundaries and knowing when it's time to apologize and when it's not, those are good things. Huge. Well, those were, those were really awesome answers. Thank you for sharing your insight. It's nice to banter about them. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. This was really fun. Yeah. So I'm sure people are going to want to hear you guys have conversations about this um, moving forward because honestly, listening to your podcast is just like having coffee with someone and listening to like you know, other moms talk without having actually having to be there, which is, (laughs) (laughs) which for some of us is good. If you're an introvert like me, (laughs) I know that's what I'm going to say. Like, I don't need my like mom coffee. I could just like listen to a podcast and feel like I fill up, but where can people find you? You can find us on our website, which is evieandsarah.com. And I'll spell that because we both have names where you could have a variety of spellings. It's E-V-I-E and S-A-R-A-H. And we have a podcast called Modern Manners for Moms and Dads. We also have a book coming out later this year by the same title. So if you would like to stay up to date on that, you can find information on our website and subscribe to our newsletter. And Sarah, do you want to tell them about our Facebook group? Yes, we have a fantastic Facebook group called Talking Modern Manners for Moms and Dads. And in this group, it's a great, really supportive community. 
So you have a chance to talk about any issues that come up that you need advice from. We have uh, like lots of people in there who like to talk and share. Um, We talk about things from the podcast in there. You can ask questions, you can get answers, you can converse with other moms and dads and caregivers in the same situation as you. So it really gives you a community to sort of talk through a lot of these situations that, as we said in the beginning, you don't even know are existing until you are thrown in the middle of it. You really don't. You bring up some really good topics that you wouldn't even realize that you want the answers to those things. So <laughs> right? I will, right. yeah, I will leave links in the show notes for all your stuff. And I hope that people check you guys out. So thanks for coming on. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. We're, we're honored to be here. Well, I hope you enjoyed our banter back and forth. It's nice. It's, uh, it felt like just talking to old friends. They were really easy to talk to. And that's kind of how their podcast is. So definitely check out their podcast, Modern Manners for Moms and Dads. And you can also learn about their book and all about them on their website at evieandsarah.com. So check them out. So I hope that you're enjoying the podcast and you're finding my support helpful. And if you are enjoying the podcast, you know, I always like it. If somebody can hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcasts. And if you have a few extra minutes, which by the way, I know you do now, you can leave a review and share with other parents the value that you're getting from our show. It does make a difference. It not only to my own self-esteem and self-confidence and my social anxiety, but it helps parents find the show. It helps parents realize there's value in the show. And so to show my gratitude, I always like to end my show reading one of those. So I want to thank Malti Cruz. She said, as a mental health coordinator at a school district, I cannot tell you how much your expertise is needed for our parents and staff. Your podcast gives oxygen to awareness and hope for so many kids with anxiety and OCD. Thank you so much. I love those kind words. Oxygen to awareness and hope for so many kids. That's beautiful. It's well written, but I appreciate it. So thank you so much for taking the time to leave a review. And if you leave a review, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 